Welcome home. There's always room for one more. You guys excited to be here this morning? Week was a little bit treacherous, right? We woke up this morning through some beautiful sunshine. The ice is going to continue to melt. Glad that you are here in person or if you're watching online. Thanks for being a part of what's going on. But here's where we begin today. How do we navigate anxiety and depression? We're in the middle of this series, Hope Has a Name. And that's the the question on the forefront of our minds. And and we're going to be speaking to both today because I think there's something in Scripture that that speaks to both anxiety and depression. And I would like to unpack that with you today. The story goes that there was a psychology professor who was giving a presentation on manic depression. And at the end of the presentation with the group that was there, this professor asked this question. How would you diagnose a patient who walks back and forth, screaming at the top of their lungs one minute, and then sits in a chair weeping uncontrollably the next. A young man in the back of the class raised his hand and answered, a basketball coach? Anybody watch the NBA or maybe a high school basketball game, right? You know, we laugh. We have that kind of like deep chuckle, but it's a knowing chuckle, right? Because uh, maybe, maybe that's us sometimes. I want to run some statistics by you this morning uh, as we begin to talk about anxiety and depression because you're like, maybe this isn't me. Like, what's, what's going on in the world? So first one on the screen for you. Americans reported being happy in two, uh, being less happy in 2018 than in 2008. Similar dis- decreases in related socioeconomic countries like uh, Canada, France, Japan, New Zealand, and Italy. So in that 10-year period, Americans said, hey, we are less happy. Next one. Generalized anxiety disorder is more prevalent in richer countries than it is in poorer ones. And that general anxiety disorder is that kind of that concept of just life, the worry of life becomes debilitating to you, that you can't function as a normal human being because of the anxiety that you might have. Anxiety and depression are the most common mental health issues. Go figure, we're talking about both of those today. In large urban centers, one in three people suffers from anxiety. Keene is kind of in the country, but it's also kind of a part of a large urban center. So I don't think it's a long shot to say today it could be likely that there are one out of every three people sitting in this auditorium or watching online that suffers from anxiety. And that might be you this morning. And I want to say right off the bat that it's okay. This is a safe space. Let the, let the worries settle for just a moment as we look at Jesus' words. 34% of Americans say they felt pain often or very often compared to other countries like China, Japan, Switzerland, and South Africa who average just about 15%. The number of new cases of depression worldwide increased 50% between 1990 and 2017. You depressed yet? Yeah, those aren't great statistics. The author Anna Lamke puts it this this way in the book, Dopamine Nation. We're all running from pain. Some of us take pills, some of us couch surf while binge watching Netflix, some of us read romance novels, we'll do almost anything to distract ourselves from ourselves. Yet, all this trying to insulate ourselves from pain seems only to have made our pain worse. You've been there, right? Maybe surfing online, visiting a place that you shouldn't, and just trying to medicate the pain that you feel 
on the inside. And I want to qualify something today as we address the ideas and the reality of anxiety and depression. And at the beginning of this message, I want to make an oversimplification that will help us understand where we are headed. And that oversimplification of anxiety and depression is my hope and my attempt to make today's message have the broadest application for you. Because I understand in this room, there is a scale of, uh, of us that f- some of us feel very, very depressed. Others of us feel very, very anxious. Others of us are kind of in between. And I don't want to leave anyone out of the hope that Jesus has for you this morning. So here's the oversimplification. In a way, anxiety is excess future. It's worry about what is to come. And the more that you are worried about that, the more debilitating that can be. But in a very simplified form and overgeneralization, anxiety, the way I'm going to speak about it this morning, is an excess of future. And depression, the flip side of the coin, is excess past. It's worry about what has come before. And this excess, whether anxiety or depression, is an overwhelming, all-consuming attention and focus on something that's not happening right now. It might be on what's to come or what you hoped would have happened, and it causes you to sink deeper into an anxious spirit or into a depressed spirit. And really, it's cyclical, right? Sometimes our anxiety feeds our depression and then in turn our depression feeds our anxiety. And I've had an experience with this in the past couple of years. Anybody heard of the COVID-19 pandemic? It's been our lives, right? We kind of joked about it in early 2022 uh, or 2020 about like, oh, that's kind of happening halfway around the world. It'll never affect you, like whatever. And then all of a sudden March of 2020 came. Governments are saying, hey, let's, let's shut it down. Let's stop the spread. And as a leader of this community, very stressful moment to see the the biblical mandate for where we should go, and then we're hearing another thing, and how do we lead this congregation well? I was anxious for the future, and we had that kind of honeymoon phase of like, wow, this is great to be home, and like, it's cool to work from home, we don't have to be out, the streets are empty, and that lasted for like a week and a half, right? And then all of a sudden, the reality of where we were set in and waves of depression wafted over me. Like, how am I gonna navigate this? My entire world has just completely flipped upside down. I'm longing for what used to be and anxious for what is to come. And this morning, if you're experiencing anxiety or depression to the point that it is debilitating in your life, I encourage you to seek help. Call a hotline, call a friend, seek out a Christian counselor that can help you. If you're not functioning well, seek the help that you need. Today, I don't want to talk about the extremes. I want to talk about the middle because I think the middle can apply to the extremes. Because in a way, we are all potentially high functioning in our experience with anxiety or depression. Like, we made it here this morning. We're watching online, right? We've all had to grin and bear it at some point. And those anxious thoughts come or those depressing thoughts come. We just kind of had to buckle up. But if you're tired of that, and I know I've experienced being tired of that, I would offer to you this morning that hope has a name. And I'd like to spend a few moments with you reintroducing you to him 
this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, look at with me at Psalm 42. We're going to be in Psalm 42 this morning. We alluded to that in our golf cart conversation earlier. Psalm 42, if you've got it in front of you, it will also be on the screens. And today I want to look with you at Psalm 42 as a psalm of hope. In fact, it shows the movements of hope, that hope isn't this thing that we just get. And it's like, aha, like I'm here, I've arrived. No, hope walks with us every single step of the way. Psalm 42, we'll look at the first four verses. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When, I, when can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. Says David, in the midst of a depressing moment for him, and notice that he likens himself to a deer looking for water. Now, this isn't your kind of pleasant, like, little Bob Ross painting with the little deer and the little, little happy little trees. And, like, oh, the deer kind of comes along and bends down to the water and takes a, just a little, little sip of water and then goes on its merry way. No, 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 no. The language here in Hebrew is of a deer that is being chased and is running for its life. And maybe, just maybe, it can pause for two seconds to get a gulp of water that will be nourishing for its soul, that it can continue its escape from what it is, what is chasing it. That's what David says here in this moment. My soul longs for God as a deer pants for the brooks of water. What do you desire? David's desire was for God. And I think on a surface level, we would all say like, yeah, our souls long for the living God. But I think we face a challenge in this day and age because most likely your soul is crying out for God, but your disordered desires are pacifying that longing with anything but God. Your soul is in need of a higher power that can transform you and you're placating your emotions with the easy high. We can see it in scripture, but we can also see it in science. If we think for a moment, we looked last week at some of the science, we're gonna look at it today. We'll put a picture up on the screen for you if you hear. Anybody here, to hear uh, anybody here hear of dopamine? You know, that pleasure center in your mind where it's just like, ah, the, the dopamine fires and it's like, yes, I love it. Well, we can think about the, 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 the neuroreceptors in our brain and those synapses that fire that tell us how to think and how to feel. And when we do those pleasurable things, take a walk with our spouse, get a good grade, that dopamine signal goes across those, those neuroreceptors and it's like a, a baseball pitcher pitching a baseball to the catcher. And the more pleasurable things that we do, the more dopamine that is sent across those neurosynapses. And we can look at, at this in a way as, as like a balance. There's this thing called the pleasure-pain balance that Anna Lemke describes in the book Dopamine Nation. And they did a study on some rats and they, they had them do some different things to look at their brain to see how much dopamine was emitted in their brain when they engaged in certain activities. Chocolate elevated the dopamine levels by 55%. Go figure. Chocolate's 
uh, you get a feeling after you eat some chocolate, like, yeah, things are good. Sex, 100%, increase in dopamine. Nicotine, 150. Cocaine, 225. And amphetamines, 1,000% increase in dopamine. Crazy, right? That's how people get addicted to things, not because of the substance is so great, but because of the dopamine that's transferring in their minds. And Anna Lemke puts this on, on a balance. It's the, play, the, the pleasure pain balance. We'll go to the next slide. And we can engage in, in eating chocolate or, or social media or, or gaming or pornography or shopping. And it's like, woohoo, the pleasure goes up. Like, this is fantastic. But our minds are not built to, to have this, this pivot onto, onto one side. No, there must be a, a leveling and equalizing in our minds. So if we go on to the next side, there's natural processes in our brain that will put the, the, the table back over on the other side. And we get back to equilibrium, the equalization, and we're like, oh, man, I'm kind of down again. Maybe that, that pleasure felt really good, so I'm going to turn to the other things. We'll go to the next line. And so it, it, the scale goes down, we go to the next one, and we go back and forth and back and forth to the point that our brain is so desensitized by the things that gave us dopamine originally that it's like the evil gremlins of our mind are parked on one side and we find ourselves in a place of anxiety or depression. Not because of anything else, but maybe the choices that we have made. You see, there's a pervasiveness of anxiety and depression in our society. And I believe this is in part due to the dopamine-rich world that we live in. You've got a dopamine dispenser on the device that you carry in your pocket scrolling endlessly, seeing other people's lives, like, man, I wish I could be there. And you have that feeling of like, you get the hit, and then you put the phone down, and you feel more depressed when you put it down than when you picked it up in the first place. Because that balance is going back and forth. David's desire is for God, and I believe our desire should be as well, but there's something standing in the way. David didn't have an iPhone. The only thing he could rely on was God. Apple and Google are standing in our ways. But what David wants to seek in Psalm 42, he wants to seek the presence of God. He says, when can I go and be with God? When can I get into the midst of where God is? Because I know where, if I am where God is, then things will be okay. Because I think back in my mind to, to when things were good. I used to lead worship in the temple. I used to do all these amazing things, and I felt God's presence. When can I get back into God's presence? And maybe for you, you uh, remember the days when, when there was an Elevate worship service that was just like, man, that was top shelf. Maybe there was a Vespers that soothed your soul or a small group that you were a part of that helped meet a need or that one late night walk where you bared your soul to God and God showed up. I invite you this morning, if you're feeling anxious or depressed, to seek the presence of God. It's in his presence there is peace. And let the memory of God's presence in your life draw you closer to the reality of his presence today. David continues, Psalm 42, verse 5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. 
Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, verse 7, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And though each night and through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. David is willing to ask the tough, tough questions of himself. How often do we let our minds dictate our actions instead of standing up to ourselves and being like, hold on for a moment. Why are you so distressed, Mo, my soul? What has caused me to get into this place where I'm worried, I'm anxious and depressed? And not to ignore it, not to beat yourself down, but to take an inventory of where you currently sit. What has caused me to come to this particular place? It is okay to recognize your current mental state. And it is okay to not be okay. But what's not okay is to stay there. Because God offers us hope. As a tender, nurturing father, he wants to bring us out of those dark spaces. So we can ask those questions. Why am I in this funk? What brought me here? Self, what is going on? And David asks these questions, not receiving an answer. He looks to who God is. He calls God my savior, my God. There's imagery that runs throughout that God is a person who can be experienced. And I would offer to you this morning, if you're experiencing anxiety or depression, is to seek the person of God. Not only can you come into his presence, but that presence comes from a person who wants to know you, who wants to transform you from the inside out, who knits you in your mother's womb. Go figure he would be the one to pull you out of the dark. And I love the, the language that the psalmist uses about the, the raging waters, right? He's like, I hear the tumult of the waters. If you've ever traveled up to, to New England, maybe you've stopped by Buffalo, New York and been to Niagara Falls. Anybody been to, to Niagara Falls? Yeah, a few of you, right? There's, there's a tourist attraction there where they've got a boat that's down on the river. It's called the Maiden of the Mist. And I remember uh, uh, one summer when I, when I was young, we, we made this kind of cross-country trip, to, trip to, to, to check out New England. And we stopped by Niagara Falls, and it was beautiful. You walk up by the falls, and you could just feel the thundering water. And so we go down to this place called the Maiden of the Mist, and they got this boat on the water, and you get these, like, really cool, like, sandals to put on, and they got this, like, big poncho. Everybody's in these blue ponchos or like, these green and white sandals. We were styling, Okay. We get on the boat and they say, okay, you know, you can be inside or outside, but no, if you're outside, you're in the splash zone, okay? Outside is the front row at SeaWorld. And we're going to drive right up to almost underneath the falls. And I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's do this. So we're standing out on the front of the boat and you get closer to the water and just you feel the power of the water coming over the falls and the mist starts coming onto your face more and more. It's like if any of you took a walk in the snow when it was kind of blowing earlier this week, you can almost barely keep your eyes open, right? Same thing with the water. And we get closer and we get closer and you can feel the power of Niagara Falls. And of course, you know, it felt like we could just like reach out, put our hand under it, right? And we were probably like several hundred yards away from, from where we needed, from really being up and close to the falls. But that experience is what David says God's presence is like. He's like, walk into the waterfall of God. Let God's presence and God's person completely inundate you. 
There's something about standing under a waterfall that just totally relieves the stress and the tension. Now, Niagara Falls don't stand under that one. You're going to get like plunged down, right? But like the smaller waterfall, like, you know, walk under that one. It'll be okay. Are you guys cold this morning or something? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, still, we're still warming up. Yesterday, Bible commentary puts it this way, volume four, page 203. The peace of the Christian depends not upon the peaceful conditions in the world about them, but upon the indwelling of the spirit of God in their hearts. When God dwells inside of here, no matter what happens around you, you can experience peace. Even in the midst of your anxiety, even in the midst of your depression. David is not done. We must finish with these words. Psalm 42, verses 9 through 11. Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, obsessed, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. David goes for God's throat. He says, you're my rock. You're supposed to be the anchor of my life. But you, God, you've forgotten me. And I want to know why. I want to know why it feels like I am walking this by myself. God, where are you at? But David doesn't hang around for the answer. You see, it's okay to ask those questions. It's okay to cry out to God, where are you in the midst of my anxiety and my depression or anywhere in between? God, where are you? Do you care about me at all? Could it be possible that you could be bothered to come down and just maybe sit by me for a little bit? God is big enough to handle those questions. God has a tender affection for sitting beside his children that are asking the tough questions. And he may not give you the answer that you're looking for, but his presence will provide the comfort that you need. You see, God's grace is big enough for us to both trust that he is present and to question why his presence has not brought the miracle that we've been praying for. To trust that he's walking with us in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, that God is right by my side. It doesn't, make, it doesn't change the valley, but it changes my perspective of that valley. Even though David gets no answers from God in this moment, he admonishes himself and asks again, why are you in despair, O my soul? And I think his tone may have changed. He says, hope in God, and then let's get our praise on. He says, raise that hallelujah. Shout at the top of your lungs or or whisper in the depths of your heart. Yet I will praise you. We've experienced worship this morning. Our praise team has led us wonderfully before the throne. You saw in the video, we, we, we picked a praise song to karaoke with this week, and I, I didn't know which song Chaplain April was going to pick, but I think she picked a God-moved song. Because even in that moment, with the stress that we had from this week, even singing a few bars of a song that says, you are Jireh, you are enough, that lifted my spirit and it lifted hers as well. And Semu and Jose, it was fun to kind of have them hop in, right? even for a moment singing a few bars of a song can change the neurochemistry of your mind. It can set you back on the right track, bring that balance back to equilibrium. God knows and God cares. Lifting our souls and praise to God will change how we see the world. It might not affect our circumstances, but it'll change how we see the world. 
praise and thanksgiving can't live in the same space as fear, depression, and anxiety. Now, this isn't a fix-all. This isn't a like, everything's gonna like just be okay after this. No, 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 no. Seek the help you need. Find the community, find the counselor, find the therapist, all of that. But in your moment, when your mind is about to slip back into that dark place, say, oh, my God's bigger than that. My God will walk with me through this. So like, let's bring it on. Let's go. Invites you to seek the praise of God. Seek his presence, seek his person, and then seek his praise. But how do we do that, right? Like, that's cool. Pastor Michael, you're great. You can stand up and speak about that. But like, I, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Where, where do I go? What, what can you give me that I can leave this space today knowing that I can do something about my current situation? Isaiah 26, verse three, on the screen for you. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I started reading a book a few weeks ago. It's called The Impossible First. It's about a guy who solo, unassisted, went from one side of Antarctica to the other. It took him about 50 or 60 days. And this book kind of details the harrowing experiences that, that he experienced while in Antarctica. If we think we've had a bad week, like should we have Elevate in Antarctica next week, right? It's a little bit colder down there. That was the joke, okay? He's trekking across Antarctica. And there's a moment where he's talking, he's, he's, he's recounting the moment where he's like, I've got to keep on track. And he's got this compass that's attached to him that sticks out in front of him about, about this, about 18 inches off of his chest because he's got to pull this sled behind him. He's got to keep his, his fingers covered or frostbite will onset. So he's got to have this compass out in front of him. And, you know, venturing across Antarctica, you think you just kind of like stroll in and like, yeah, we're here. Like, it's not like walking across the Texas hills, okay? It's brutal. And he's got his skis on and he's slowly with his poles going and he's got that compass right in front of him. Can't really look up and see where he's going. Sometimes there's whiteout conditions and doesn't know what's in front of him or where he's around, but he's got that compass. And he says, my focus the entire time as I was walking across that continent was putting one foot in front of the other and keeping my heading. Nothing else mattered because if I looked away for only a short moment, that could move a half a degree and I would end up 100, 200, 300, 1,000 miles away from where I had intended to go. He says, I've got to keep my, my focus right here. And I resonate with that story at a very young age, my dad taught me how to drive a boat. We had, we had a boat that we would use every summer. And he was teaching me how, how to, to drive that boat. And, you know, when you first get in a boat, if you've ever driven one, you, like, try to drive it like a car. You can't make 90-degree corners. You're not, there's no brake, right? You just kind of got to coast and everything else. And if you're looking at the water around you in that boat, you can go all over the place. But what he told me, and it stuck with me ever since nine years old, he told me this. He says, pick something where you want to go pick a rock on the other side of the lake and look at that lake or look at that rock. Keep that as your focus. Don't deviate from that at all. Check the water around you. Make sure you're not running over anything or any obstacles in your way, but focus on where you want to go and keep your course headed in that direction. That's what God offers to us in Psalm 42 and Isaiah 26 verse 3. A mind that is stayed on Christ, a, a mind whose thoughts are fixed on God will not deviate one way or another. So if you find yourself in that hole, 
If you find your mind going to that place of anxiety and depression and you've tried everything under the book, I would invite you today to find a way to fix your eyes on Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will go strangely dim. The things that you used to like, the things that the, the dopamine hits that you would go to, all of those things will just fade away beside you because your singular focus is on Jesus. Seek him in his word, seek his presence, seek his person, and seek his praise. And let your life be lived out in glory and honor to him. So pick that spot in front of you and run at it with all you've got. Don't let that compass deviate. That one direction we're looking at, that direction is hope. Hope has a name. And that name is Jesus. And that direction we need to point is Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Got a lot going on in our world. There's a lot of burdens that we carry. Excess future, excess past. But God, in the midst of that, may we seek you. May we keep our eyes focused dead ahead on who you are and what you've done. May your presence, your person, and your praise overwhelm our lives like a waterfall. And may we be found focused unequivocally on you. May the things we used to hold dear fade away and may your face, your presence, person, and praise become our number one focus. God, we leave our lives in your hands. Looking forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.